Isn't that our testimony this morning? We need him. I love that song. And the only thing I'd change about it is not just every hour, like every breath we need him, right? Every breath we need him. Well, I have to tell you, for a church that's almost, uh, I mean, two weeks short of 100 years old, you look pretty good. I, I've, it's a privilege to be here with you this morning and to get to open God's Word uh, with you this morning. Uh, if you want, and you have your Bible, we'll have it on the screen, but if you have a Bible with you and you want to turn over to Acts 9, that'll be our passage we're going to get into in just a moment. But two weeks ago, Pastor Mark introduced this sermon series called, uh, and called for us to uh, be on a journey of discovering our story again. And he invited us to think together corporately and individually about our story in light of who God is and what he's done in Jesus Christ. In that first sermon, he quoted a theologian, and I'm going to read that, uh, the, that quote again to you in just a moment. But that quote has been rolling around in my mind for the last few weeks, and especially this week as I was preparing for this message this morning. Because I think the theologian is absolutely right on this. Here's what he said. I can only answer the question of what am I to do if I can answer the prior question, which is what story do I find myself in? Maybe stated differently, we might say it this way. I cannot know how to proceed, how to go forward in my life until I understand what grand narrative I find myself a part of. Stop and think for a moment. Your life is telling a story whether you recognize it or not. The question is, what story are you telling with your life? What story are you, or what are you saying rather, by the story that you're living out every day? Our sermon this morning is, is really about discovering how our story encounters God, how in our everyday life, God wants to transform us and make us into his people. To that end, I want to start here. Anybody, by show of hands, anyone remember Transformers? Yeah, my, my kid's generation think that Transformers, when they think of Transformers, they think of the live action, with the CGI and live action movies of the last decade or so. But that's not how I remember Transformers. I remember as a kid, there was a Transformers on Saturday morning. It was not live action. It was a bunch of cartoons. And it was a ritual at our house for my brother and I to watch Transformers. And for whatever reason, Transformers came on really early on Saturday mornings. So we would, we would get up. Mom and dad were still asleep in bed. And we'd get one of the kitchen chairs and we'd drag it over to the counter and we'd get up on the chair and then up on the counter and get down some bowls. You think you know where the story's going, don't you? Cereal, wrong. My brother and I didn't really care for cereal that much. of them, We had it, we ate it, but it wasn't our love. To this day, we both love pickles, best made pickles. And Saturday mornings were always spent watching Transformers and eating a bowl of best made pickles with French's mustard on the top of it. Now, I'll be honest with you, I'm a bit of a pickle snob. You'll have to forgive me. And I'm a bit of a mustard snob, but when your palate 
is trained for many years on Saturday morning eating pickles and mustard for breakfast, you become a bit of a pickle snob. All right, so you'll have to forgive me. I've been transformed, if you will. When I was a kid, uh, one Christmas, we got a Nintendo, and I loved that thing, and my brother and I, in true brother fashion, it was just the two of us, we fought over who was going to play. We had two controllers, and all, the only game we had after Christmas was Super Mario Brothers and Duck Hunt. It was the one cartridge that came together that you set in there, and, and, and we got the little you know, gun that shot the ducks. I still don't know how that works to this day. And we got the little paddles to play Super Mario Brothers. But we were not patient. I've noticed my kids' generation, they, they are happy to watch other people play video games on YouTube. I still don't understand that. Because my brother and I were so competitive that we didn't want to wait till the other one got done. And so we'd mess with the other one until we messed them up so it would be our turn to play. In the midst of that, also that same Christmas, we got some Transformers. <laughs> and I love the Transformers. We got one I remember in particular is this guy. It's Inferno. He is the, um, the, the fire truck that becomes a Transformer. Somewhere along the line, we lost the little thing in his right hand. I think that's a gun. Um, but we lost the gun somewhere in the house. But we played with that Transformer and played with that Transformer and played with that Transformer. And I don't mean like we played. I mean, we transformed it back and forth while the other one was playing video games until it was our turn. That thing got thrown a few times. That's not the exact one, but it's pretty close to see who could distract the other one. But we played with that Transformer so much that it, was, it wouldn't even hardly work anymore. It wouldn't stay together. We'd transform that thing so much. I don't know that's where my parents got the idea, but my parents believed they were supposed to be in the business of transformation too. And they figured out with two pretty rowdy boys that had attitude and behavioral problems at times, that they could uh, adjust the attitude and behavior knob that was in the seat end of our britches. And they were in the business of transforming their two boys into decent human beings. My mother and dad believed in Romans 2 where it says, be transformed. I don't know that that's exactly what God meant, but they, were, they believed in transformation. One, one Sunday, or one Saturday, I'm sorry, one, I don't even know what day of the week it was. We were at summer, and my brother and I, we were probably 10, 11, 12, we were home by ourselves. Mom and dad both worked for my paternal grandfather. And so we didn't think anything of calling what we called the shop. We didn't think, of call, we didn't think much of calling the business. And we'd probably called my mother, I don't know, 25 times that day because we were fussing. Not we needed anything, we were just fussing. He did this, he did that, he did this. My mother had had enough. About call 25, somewhere along in there, she said, if you boys call me again, I'm coming home. That was back in the day when you could slam a phone down and somebody knew that you had slammed a phone down. It doesn't work the same with a cell phone. It just, it doesn't have the same feel, right? But I don't know exactly what, because my brother, he was the not smart one. He was the one that called my mother. And I don't know all of what she said, but I remember hearing him or her slam the phone down. Well, we got into it again in a few minutes and she answered the, my brother, again, not the smart one, called my mother and she didn't say anything except, y'all don't leave the house, I'll be right there. My mother 
doesn't mind, um, she doesn't mince words with her boys, but she didn't say anything when she got to the house. She walked in the door, she went to my dad's closet, and she got out his belt. It had a big buckle on it. She grabbed a hold of that end and she doubled it over. She made sure she didn't get us with the buckle, but she got us with the belt. She got me first and then she got my brother. And I I remember thinking, you ought to get him more. He's the one that started all this mess. And my mother didn't say a, a word the entire time she was in the house until she got ready to leave. On the way out the door, she said, I said, don't call me again. She slammed the door, and we had a big frame window in the front of our house, and that window just went to shaking. And I said to my brother, I don't care if the house catches on fire, we're not calling her again. He said, I agree, I don't want another one of those. It's about two weeks later, he said to me, do you know how to make brownies? I really would like some brownies. I said, no, why don't you call mother? He said, I don't think so, I know what happened last time. My mother and dad believed in transformation and they were gonna transform us into decent human beings if that was the last thing they did. They were gonna transform us. I said to you a moment ago, Romans 12, two says in part, be transformed. I'm not sure that's the kind of transformation God is after, but I believe this morning that God wants to transform us. God is in the business of transforming who we are. Part of the grand story, the grand narrative we find ourselves in is when we encounter Almighty God, we are so transformed that it changes who we are. Everything about us changes. I want to look with you at a story this morning over in Acts 9. Acts 9 is the story of Saul of Tarsus and his transformation. So if you have your Bible, or the words will be on the screen, would you read with me Acts chapter nine? Hear the word of the Lord this morning as I read it for us. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he, if he found any who belonged to the way, that is the followers of Jesus, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? <clears throat> who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound, but had not seen anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but, his, but when he opened his eyes, he, couldn't, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. 
the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Catch this. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you so you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the part that really strikes me. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. He began to preach that Jesus is the Son of God. And all who heard were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who called on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. I don't know about you, but when I read that story, I believe it's a story of transformation. God takes Saul, this persecutor of the church, and transforms him. When I think of the word transformation, I, I, don't, I don't think of it as like, well, we're gonna start over. We're gonna do something and become nice people. When I think of transformation, it's a literal change that makes everything different. Think of it this way. Water, when put in circum circumstances and it gets cold enough, what happens to that water? It's transformed into something solid, right? That same water in a liquid form, if you heat it long enough, it becomes transformed into steam, right? I believe that God doesn't want to just make us nice people. I believe he wants to transform his people into people that he wants them to be. This is a story of transformation. Here is the persecutor of the church who encounters along his story, almighty God, and it changes who he is. He's transformed from persecutor to evangelist. This wasn't a mere, hey Saul, stop. 
Be nice to these people. They're, they're my people. Quit, quit being so mean to them. Quit taking them to jail. That's not what Jesus does at all. <clears throat> There's no warning. Jesus says, this is personal. I'm the one you're persecuting. And I want to do something with your life. I want to change you and make you the person that I want you to be. Real quickly, I want to share with you three things I see about this transformation. Number one, real transformation comes when our story encounters God's story. May I suggest to you this morning, the grand narrative in which we live is not our story. It's a story that started all the way back in the book of Genesis and will continue, I believe, for years and years and eternity to come. God is doing a work, but our life is only changed when we encounter the living God. God acts and we become distinctively new in that moment. Paul says it this way, the old has gone, has passed, and the new has come. Paul knew that firsthand as God transformed him into the person he wanted him to be. Can I tell you one of my fears for the church? One of the fears of the church is that we'll have church and, and someday when, when our time is over, someone will say about us, they were really nice people, good people. You know what? I don't want them to say I was good or nice. I want them to say they saw a transformation that only God could do in my life. It's not enough for us to be nice people. God wants to transform us and make us his people so that when we go out into the world, the world looks at us and they maybe say, man, they're a little bit peculiar. They're a little bit strange, but you know what? They believe all of that stuff that they talk about and they live it out. And there's something about that, that and it raises some question in my heart. Maybe there is something to that whole Jesus thing. It's not enough for us to be good people, to be nice people. God wants to transform us from the inside out. Oh, we'll be nicer, we'll be kinder, we'll be more loving because of what God's done in us, that's true. But if that is all we have encountered, it's simply not enough. This is not a behavioral modification program. This isn't about learn six ways to be nicer. This thing that we do on Sunday morning when we gather for worship is to be transformational of who we are. So that when we leave here, we're a little bit like Moses when he came down from Mount Sinai. His face glowed because he had encountered God. What if this morning, when you and I leave this place, our face glows? What if every Sunday morning when we leave here, our face glows because we've encountered the living God who wants to transform us? Number two, real transformation is a process, not a destination. God is working on us. God is working on you and I. I remember as a young ministry student in campus of Southern Nazarene University, I had encountered some really good religion professors 
And as we had an opportunity, uh, I had an opportunity to work security for a couple of years while I was there, which gave me an opportunity to run into my professors in the evenings as I was locking up the building. And I remember watching one professor in particular from afar. He was a, a short man, probably five foot three, five foot four at most, Jordanian, beautiful olive skin. And this man was the most kind, humble, gentle man I had ever met in all my life. And I thought, this guy really knows the Lord. And I thought, I want an opportunity to be like that. I want to be like him someday. When I grow up, I want to be like that. And so I cornered him one evening in his office. And I said, hey, before you go home, I have a question. He said, sit down, sit down. I sat down and I said to him, Dr. Tashin, will you tell me, when do you arrive spiritually? I mean, like, when do you get it all right? And when, when do you come to the final destination that you know, I have done all that God's asked me to do? When do you come to that place? I was being serious. But he pushed back in that chair big old leather chair, his small frame body sitting in it. And he just began to belly laugh at me. And he said, Aaron, oh, please don't think I've arrived. I have no idea where else God's going to take me. I haven't arrived. I said, yeah, but I want to be like, like you. I, I want to be loving and kind. And he said, you know what? The only way to do that is to be transformed. But if someday this side of glory, I arrive, which I'm pretty sure I won't, but if I do, I'll call you and let you know. He's not, well, hang on. No, he still hasn't called me. I don't believe that God is just gonna do something once in our life and then he's done. I don't think this was all for Paul, but think about for a moment all that Paul went through. He was struck. He heard this loud voice. He was blinded. He had to be led around by his fellow travelers. He didn't eat or drink for three days. The scripture says he prayed. You think he might have done some soul searching in those days? <laughs> he stayed with the disciples. He regained his sight. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was baptized. He ate and drank. Then... He began to preach. I don't believe that this was the only encounter that Saul ever had with God. It was a transformation, very quick transformation, but this wasn't the end of Saul's journey with God. God kept working in his life and making him more and more and more and more like him. Can I tell you this morning, God wants to transform our life. Whether we've been in the church one minute or a hundred years, God still wants to do a work of transformation in our life. We never come to the point where we've arrived spiritually. It doesn't happen. Oh, the, foolish, the foolishness of my youth. But let me also tell you, I don't believe God's in a hurry either. He's got eternity to do whatever he wants. But God will transform us through a process. Along our journey, along our story, as we're writing and God is writing our story, he wants to encounter us and make us 
like him. The third thing, to be transformed, we have to let go of who we are and allow God to tell us who we truly can be in Jesus. You know what? When transformation happens, we are not the same when it's over. Saul, he went from the persecutor of the church to a great evangelist. He went from the best Jew that anyone knew who in his mind, he thought he was doing the work of the Lord, chasing these Jesus followers all over Jerusalem and Damascus and all over that part of the world. He thought he was doing God's work until God, he encountered God for the first time. And God said, listen, stop what you're doing. I want to transform your life. I'm going to take you from someone who can't stand these people to be the one who will stand and speak for these people. What might he want to do in your life today? What might God be asking of you? I believe with all my heart that God has asked me today to confirm in this gathering that he is still doing the work of transformation. I believe that God wishes to transform men and women and children, all of us. He wants to transform us and make us just like his son. The worship team's gonna come in just a moment, but I just wanna ask you for a moment, just to take a second, and consider what God might be saying to you this morning with regard to this transformation. And I wanna to touch on two things real quick. Number one, if you've been around the church like I have, I think I showed up to church the first Sunday after I was born, so I've been here pretty much my whole life, not in this church, but different places, the church of, of God across the world. It doesn't matter. I still believe that God is working to transform my life, no matter how long I've been in the church. So please don't think if you're here this morning and you say, well, I've been in church a long time, that God is through doing transformation in your life. That's simply not true. We don't arrive spiritually. God is still forming and shaping us into the people that he wants to be. And on the other end, please don't think, because, well, preacher, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the life I've lived. You don't know the habits I have. You don't know the struggle that I find myself in. God could never do anything with me. Please don't think that either. If God can take a scoundrel by the name of Saul of Tarsus and transform him from, from the persecutor of the church to the greatest evangelist of all times, what can he do with your life? What can he do with my life? Completely and wholly surrendered to him. So let me ask you this morning. What is God saying to your heart about transformation. 